Welcome back to The Joseph Carlson Show. We have a very exciting video to get into today. We're gonna to be looking at what some of the best investors in the world are doing, what they're buying and what they're selling. And we get a look at what they're doing with their portfolios through their 13F filings. These are filings that are required for anyone managing over $100 million. Since most of these super investors manage billions of dollars, we get to see what they're doing every three months. And the time has arrived for a few super investors. In this video, we have a killer lineup. We have Chris Hone, what I believe is one of the best investors in the world, and he manages a massive amount of capital. He's made significant changes to his portfolio. His portfolio was once what I described as bulletproof. So we're gonna be looking at what Chris Hone has done with his portfolio. We also have Michael Burry, he needs no introduction himself. We're gonna see what he's been up to. We have Pat Dorsey. He's someone that I don't really agree with his investing style, but I think it's interesting to look at nonetheless. And then we have Josh Tarasov. He's a smaller time investor. He only manages a couple hundred million dollars, but he manages it in a more volatile way. He's buying companies that are a little bit more volatile. And then we have Terry Smith. Terry Smith is the high quality investor. He's the one that has taught me a lot about returns on capital, investing in quality companies, and he has a very, very good track record. So we have a lot to get into in this episode. I think it's gonna be fun, and I love doing these type of videos because I think learning from these type of investors is one of the best ways that we can learn as investors ourselves. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right in. Now, the first individual we're gonna be looking at is called Chris Hone. Chris Hone manages a very large fund. Right now, it's at $29 billion, which makes this one of the biggest funds in any hedge fund ever. And he doesn't only manage a lot of money, but he actually manages it very well. He has created alpha for the shareholders. Since the inception of TCI Fund in 2003, it's returned an annualized return of 19%, beating out both the S&P 500 and the QQQ. That is alpha. And not only has he created alpha, but he's also doing it for a very charitable reason. Don't get me wrong, Chris Hone, he makes a lot of money. He's a multi-billionaire, but part of the assets under management of TCI goes to children in need. That's the name of the fund. So he is both a very wealthy person managing a fund to great success, but he's also giving away a lot to philanthropy while he's alive, which I think is admirable. Now, we can look at some of the trades he's done. Historically, in fact, the last report, I said that his portfolio was what I would describe as bulletproof, like an armored vehicle, impenetrable, a portfolio that is so strong. Every individual company has an incredibly wide moat, but he's made a couple changes. Let's go ahead and first look at some of the things that he's done in his portfolio. We'll look at the cells. He sold a lot of companies over the past uh, three months. He sold a little bit of Visa. He reduced it by 3%, so that's no big change. But then he sold a lot of Microsoft. He sold 31% of his Microsoft holding. That's about 7% of his portfolio. So 31% reduction in Microsoft is significant. And then he sold a lot of Google. He sold all of G-O-O-G-L, so that was about half of the position. But then he also sold 56% of G-O-O-G. Combined, he sold 75% of his Google position. So he sold a lot of Microsoft and he sold a whole lot of Google, which was one of his largest positions. Combined, this makes up around 15% of the portfolio that he exited. That's what he did last quarter. And then he sold the remaining few shares of Union Pacific, but that's old news. Overall, he reduced Visa a little bit. He sold a lot of Microsoft and he sold the majority of his Google holding. What he bought was Thermo Fisher Scientific, 
This is one that shows up in a lot of quality investor profiles. It shows up in Terry Smith. He's one that has, uh, I think, a little bit of TMO. But this is one that's a little bit interesting. Chris Hone has so far avoided companies that make products, that manufacture them. And even though Thermo Fisher Scientific does some other things, they are a product manufacturer as well. So this is a bit of a change, but it's not a significant one to his portfolio. This is only 1.5%. So a very small change in terms of the size of TCI. Now, another company that he added a little bit to is he increased his position of Moody's by 12%. I own S&P Global and Moody's is very similar, but Moody's is more specifically focused on the credit ratings. It's a very wide moat business and has great economics. It makes perfect sense to have it as part of his portfolio. He not only added a little bit to that, but he also owns S&P Global and he added just slightly to that as well. So he bumped up the credit rating companies ever so slightly. And I think it makes sense for him to add to both of these companies because they're both very wide moat and they've been trading flat for the past three or four years. So the, the economics of the company have had time to catch up to the price. But here's where we get into the interesting addition. Chris Hone bought a decent chunk of General Electric, GE. He bought 8.5%. This is not a company that I expected to see in his portfolio. In my assessment, when I look at his total holdings, we can see the construction of his portfolio right now. Most of these companies are incredibly wide moat. Microsoft is super wide moat. Same with Visa, same with Canadian National Railway, Canadian Pacific. We know these companies have huge network effects. They have huge distribution. They have very wide moats and wide barriers to entry. Then we have S&P Global and Moody's Corporation, two other wide moat companies. Then we have Google. We have Thermo Fisher Scientific, both very wide moat. Then we have General Electric. This is not a company that I'd consider to be super wide moat. It's not a company that I think has incredible economics. And it's not a company that I believe is positioned particularly well. But Chris Hone is the expert here, and he's been right on this holding. Let's go ahead and bring up GE and Qualtrum here. And by the way, this, this software you're looking at is included as part of the Patreon, if you want to check it out. But General Electric now trades at $100 per share. And keep in mind that this, this report here that we're looking at of Chris Hone adding this to his portfolio, this was three months ago. So this is the stuff that he was doing maybe two to three months ago. He added General Electric and he's almost certainly heavily in the green on this company. Just year to date, General Electric is up 53%. So this company has been on fire just over the past three months. So if he added here or here or here or here, wherever he added, he's in the green. He's already up big on this company. Considering the lagged effect of these reports, I believe that Chris Hone is already significantly in the green on General Electric. And I think there's a chance he may actually be taking gains right now. A 50% increase in three months is typically when these type of super investors say, look, I'm going to lock in some gains. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to move on to a different company that's a better opportunity. Now, why would Chris Home buy General Electric? While I don't have any particular insight into General Electric and the industry and these type of huge industrials, Chris Hone does have insight into this industry. In the past, he's held companies like Charter before, which is not the exact same thing as GE, but it's a little bit similar. He's held big media conglomerates like Fox A before. Again, not the exact same thing, but these type of big companies are similar. So he has some experience investing in this type of industry. And Chris Hone only invests in industries that he has extensive knowledge and understanding of. So he's done an extensive amount of research into General Electric before buying the company. And already this bid has paid off. So I thought the changes in Chris Hone's portfolio were very interesting. Swapping out Google and Microsoft for General Electric was a surprise. But you have to give him credit. He was right. General Electric is up. He's in the green over any timeline. Even though Google has done well since then, and even Microsoft has done well, General Electric has done slightly better. So the trade hair did pay off. But in my opinion, I would be less inclined to copy this portfolio with GE in it than the previous one he had before. I do not believe that General Electric is anywhere the same caliber of company that Microsoft and Google is. And I'd much rather just own Google right now than General Electric. I don't understand the industry as much, so obviously he has some deep insight into it. I may be missing something, but it's just not as good of a company in my opinion. But overall, I still rate Chris Hone as one of the top 10 investors in the world. I think he's incredibly talented. I think his focus on high quality companies with long duration has consistently outperformed other strategies of focusing on deep value, turnarounds or day trades. He's shown that this type of investing works. And with the amount of money that he's managing, it's incredible to see him concentrate into these holdings. And for me personally, I use him as a filter. I use him as a great way to source different ideas and look at different stocks. So even though I pay attention to what he's buying, I don't follow every single purchase. And General Electric is certainly one that I'm not gonna be following myself. Now, next up on the list, we have Michael Burry, and he obviously needs no introduction. Let's go ahead and see what he's been up to. Let's go ahead and start off with the cells. Let's see what he's exited. We have right here the first one, Black Knight. This is a company that I'm not familiar with at all. But apparently he sold 20%. 20% of his portfolio was in this company and he sold all of it. So we can look at this company and see how it's been doing. BKI. We have Black Knight here. And what does this company even do? Black Knight provides integrated software data and analytics for North American internationally. It's a software company. Uh, MSPs, Service Digital Web Solutions. Very vague description there. But he sold out of this company and it went down 13%. So this one hasn't been doing well. Maybe he exited the position because it wasn't giving him the momentum he, he wants. I think that Michael Burry is a little bit of a long-term investor, but also a bit of a trader. The other company that he sold out of was WWW, Wolverine Worldwide. Sold 8% of that. Then he sold out of his MGM Resorts International, 7.2%. I believe that one has been doing a little bit better. Let's go ahead and take a look at MGM here. This is a company that I follow along because I'm invested in Vici, which is the landlord and they are the tenant. And I like seeing how the company's doing. Over the past three months, this one has been doing really well, up 
So good recovery this year. Then we have QRTEA, and he sold 5% of his portfolio out of that company. We have Geo Group. He sold 4.89% out of that company. We have Sky West. He sold 100% of his position. It made up 4.4% of his portfolio. Then we have Coherent Group. This is a very small position, less than 1% that he exited. Now let's go ahead and take a look at Michael Burry's buys. He has a lot of them. So we're going to organize them by the biggest ones and look at some of the top ones. Signet Jewelry. This is a company, a jewelry company. Let's go ahead and take a look at this one. Uh, we have, uh, it's a free cash flow positive company trading at a very high yield. So it's a very low valuation company, which is what you'd expect from this type of one. And Michael Burry does this a lot where he hides out in these really deep value companies. It's a very different strategy than what I do. I, I look for companies that produce consistent cash flow. They're higher quality companies. He doesn't follow that strategy at all. What he does works but I would not try to copy Michael Burry. I think that it's nearly impossible because by the time that you might buy one of these companies, he's probably already out of it. So this is one that he bought with 9% of his portfolio. It's up 11% year to date. Uh, pretty good, but not amazing. We have the New York Community Bank Corp. So he bought a bank company. He bought a lot of JD. He bought a lot of this company. Let's go ahead and look at how JD's doing. I don't believe these ones are doing well. Yeah, this one's down 35% year to date. So this one has been struggling. Uh, he's probably in the red on that one right now. He bought also Zoom Communication, 7% of the portfolio. Maybe he's finally a fan of uh, Kathy Wood. Um, I, I, I doubt it. I, I somehow doubt it. He's, he's gone back and forth with her on Twitter. Zoom is flat year to date. So no big run, nothing big with that one. It's down 1% year to date. We have Capital One Financial. Sibinary Stillwater, a water company, Liberty, Cigna Group, Alibaba, Wells Fargo, Western Alliance, Bancorp, Cotella Energy, November, NOV. He bought a company that's named after a month. Devon Energy Corp, PacWest Bank Corp, First Republic Bank. A lot of these companies I've never heard of before, and this is pretty standard for Michael Burry. His portfolio is one that I would never want to mimic. It's one that I'd never try to mimic. He buys into these companies and sells out of them so fast. But right now, his most significant bets as of the reporting of this 13F filing is JD, Alibaba, Signet Jewelers, and then New York Community Bank Corp, Zoom, and Capital One Financial. After that, we get into the 5% and below positions. So a high concentration into these companies. He's betting on the Chinese retailer companies to recover. Those ones have been really beat up. Most investors are tired of them. I, I've been tired of these companies. So a lot of investors are fleeing those companies. He's buying into the fair. And then a jewelry company, some bank companies, Zoom's randomly thrown in there. A, a random tech Zoom company in there. And then a lot of other companies that have nothing to do with the rest of his portfolio. So overall, even though I think Michael Burry as a person is very interesting and his thoughts generally speaking and in investing are somewhat instructive, I would not follow the portfolio. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't follow his mind. He has a very, very interesting way of looking at investing. And even though his results have been incredibly good, it's not someone that I would read too much into in terms of his bearish calls or bullish calls on the market. He has an entirely different investing philosophy. Now let's go ahead and jump into the next one. We have Pat Dorsey. Pat Dorsey is the one that helped create the moat rating at Morningstar. And that's what he's known for, is being the one that really tried to analyze what Warren Buffett did with moats 
and reinvent that for Morningstar, the rating firm. Now, Pat Dorsey is someone that I also have not been impressed by how he manages his portfolio. In 2022, every single company that he was invested in got completely wrecked. They all went down substantially. And I haven't been able to find his overall returns, his compounded annual returns. I can only imagine that it was really, really damaged in 2022. So even though he might make some good bets this year, trying to make up those substantial losses in companies like Wix, like Roku in 2022 is very difficult. And he was also invested in Meta towards the top of this company as well. So a lot of the companies he was holding have been completely crushed. Let's go ahead and take a look at what he's trying to do, because I'm sure he's trying to get back uh, some of the losses there. If we organize the biggest sales that he did last quarter, he sold a little bit of a lot of companies. He sold a little bit of Roku, a little bit of Smartsheet, Meta, Wix, Walt Disney, PayPal, and then SEMrush Holdings and Upwork. So in aggregate, he ended up selling more than he bought, which makes me believe that he probably had a few redemptions, some of his investors wanting their money out, which would not surprise me given, again, 2022. Now, if we look at his portfolio overall, I'm not sure what he's looking for in terms of investing thesis, but a lot of the companies don't seem to make much sense to me. We have Meta here, which is a very common pick. So this one I have no issue with. He has been invested in Meta for a long period of time. The next company that he's heavily concentrated into is Smartsheet. Now, this one I think is a little bit interesting. Smartsheet's a $5 billion market cap company, so very volatile. It's one that hasn't really generated much free cash flow. We look at it with stock-based comp. It's one of these companies that generates uh, very small amounts, if not negative free cash flow, and has a hugely growing dilution for stock-based compensation. We look at the EBITDA and it's continually negative. So he must be betting on the economics of this company turning around. That's one that I think is highly risky, making up 20% of his portfolio. Another company that I have done analysis on is Wix. I looked at this company, the fundamentals of it, and even though it's a great company managed by good people, it lacks any significant moat. What is the big difference between Wix and Squarespace? I don't see too much of a difference. So given the fact that it doesn't have a moat and it doesn't have the best financials and it relies heavily on marketing expense, it's one that I ruled out. But he put around 20% of his portfolio in Wix. Now going into Google, I think that's a smart move. I think he's gonna make money on that one. Roku's another one that he lost big on. Then he has an 8% weighting in Disney. And this is one that I don't think is the worst pick. I think that Disney has a lot of negative sentiment, so it may go on a run. But it's also a complex business that doesn't have the most certain predictable future. PayPal's a company that he also reduced his stake in. And out of his holdings, I think that PayPal is at least better value and more predictable than Wix and Smartsheet. So I'd rather see this one as a top holding than these two companies. We have SEMrush Holdings. I have no opinion on this company. I don't know anything about it. And then we have Upwork, which is one that I'm certainly not bullish on. So overall, Pat Dorsey's once again... He has a portfolio that I don't like. I don't like his investing strategy. I don't like many of the holdings. I do not agree with his investment choices over the past two years. And I would not be following him to get input on what to buy. I think that there's far superior investing strategies like what Chris Hone is doing. Now let's go ahead and move on to the next one here. We have a much smaller investor. By that, I mean he's managing a much smaller amount of money, $250 million. His name is Josh Tarasov. And his biggest claim to fame is really underwriting Amazon in an accurate way back in 2012. So he invested heavily into the company over a decade ago, and that's, of course, really paid off. Let's go ahead and take a look at what he's doing, and we'll start off here with the sells. We have the top sell 
which is Netflix. This is 9%, almost 10% of the portfolio that he exited out of completely. Now, this makes sense to me. He was bullish on Netflix a couple years ago. Netflix had the huge dive in price going down 50, 55%. And that's when Josh Tarasoff bought a lot of the company. So he bought the Netflix dip like crazy. He bought when Bill Ackman sold out and then he bought again after it dropped another 20%. And now Netflix is up over 100% since that big dip. So Netflix stock has gone up a lot. Josh Tarasoff is in the green on this company. And now that Netflix is being valued at a more reasonable price, uh, he's taken the gains and he's put it somewhere else. He sold out of the holding completely. Now, I still have Netflix as a relatively big position in the story fund, and I'm not planning on selling out of it. I think that it's more reasonably valued right now. I don't think it's an absolute steal, but I also think the company has a huge runway, a very long runway of continually generating more free cash flow. So I'm still bullish on Netflix. I'm still invested in the company. I think that if you are going to do a trade, now's the time to sell. But I also am still in it for the long term. Salesforce is another company that he sold out of a lot. 44% of his position. This is a 7.5% overall holding in his portfolio. And again, that doesn't surprise me all that much. We can look at Salesforce here. This is another holding of mine. Look at it year to date, up 51%. Salesforce has been one of the best stocks in the market year to date. And again, any time a company that a super investor holds goes up 50% in three months, most of them take a little bit out. They trim their position and put it elsewhere. It's rare for them to hang on to it. Sometimes they do, but most of them do exactly what Josh Tarasoff is doing. So he trimmed the position substantially, 7% of his portfolio, and he added that money some other place that we'll be looking at. The next one that he trimmed is Shopify, trimming it by 2%. Now let's go ahead and take a look at his buys. The biggest company that he bought into in Q1 was Microsoft. So he bought 10% of his portfolio into Microsoft. Massive buy, obviously I'm very bullish on Microsoft, but it's interesting to see Josh Tarasoff do that. He moved out of a lot of more volatile, riskier companies. These companies, Shopify, Salesforce, and Netflix, they're no Microsofts. They're not as stable as Microsoft. And then he bought into the big tech Goliath, Microsoft. He also bought a little bit of Markle Corp. This is a 3% holding. He bought a little bit more of Monday.com, 2.7%. Now, I've used Monday.com as part of a development team. I think it's good software, but to me, it strikes me as just a a very elaborate to-do list, and I don't see it having any significant moat. Maybe it can. Maybe the growth will make up for it, but so far, it's not one that I consider to be a really bulletproof company. I think it's another one that's a little bit more risky. We have Burford Capital, 1.39%. I'm not familiar with this company, so it's one that I'll have to do a bit more research on. And then we have Trupanion, a 0.8% buy, so very small one there. So if we look at all of these changes and his overall portfolio currently, he still holds Amazon as the largest holding by far, 22.8% of the portfolios in Amazon. And he's held this company for over a decade, so he's so heavily in the green on Amazon And again, that's a bit of his claim to fame. He really understood this company would compound and become massive. Then we have Brookfield Corporation. This is one that a lot of these super investors buy into, either BN or BAM, anything with Brookfield in front of it. This is a bet on cash flows into real assets. So Brookfield does a lot of investing into real estate, into infrastructure, into anything that's real. It's not a software company. It's not selling subscriptions. 
they invest in real assets and they use that to generate pretty significant returns. After that, we have Google. Then we have Microsoft, the new holding. So he has a pretty high concentration into these two tech leaders. Then we have the reduced stake of Salesforce, taking some of the profits over the past three months on that. Then we still have Spotify. Hasn't given up on that company, still 8%. Shopify at 6%, reduce that one. Monday.com, 6%, but added to that one. Then Burford Capital, 3.5%, Markle, 3%. And then we have BAM, like we see right here. Brookfield, he has both of these. And those are, again, a play on investing in real assets. And then we have Trupanion as a very small holding at 2%. Overall, I like Josh Tarasov's portfolio and his investing strategy. I feel like what he does is similar to Pat Dorsey, but he executes much better. He's been able to navigate the buying the dip of companies like Salesforce and Netflix much better than most investors. And he's always switching around positions at more opportune times. So he's someone that I do look at his holdings and I think it's very interesting to follow. Finally, we have one of my favorite investors, Terry Smith. Terry Smith is the high-quality investor that focuses on three simple steps to investing. Buy good companies. He defines good companies as ones that have consistently high returns on capital employed. This is very similar to what Buffett has done his entire career. Buffett only calls it high returns on tangible assets. But returns on tangible assets, returns on capital employed, they're very similar. You're basically saying the same thing. They're companies that can earn consistently high amounts of money with little amounts of capital. He focuses on finding good companies, buying them without overpaying, and then doing nothing. And that three-step strategy has led to some very, very good results. He's outperformed the market for a long period of time. Let's go ahead and see what Terry Smith has been up to. First of all, we have the sales. There's not much in the way of sales. He sold Adobe. That was his biggest holding that he sold. And this was 3% of the portfolio. Other than that, he sold IDEXX Laboratories, which was 1%, and then some tiny trimming on some other companies. Now, his biggest, most significant sell this quarter has been Adobe. And the reason that he sold this company, his commentary, he said that he did not like the Figma deal. He believes that they overpaid for it. So he sold out of the company completely. And I think there's some merit to what he's saying. Adobe did pay an incredibly high price, $20 billion for Figma. And it's questionable of what type of return they'll get on that. I think that it would enhance their moat significantly and give them another growth path. But I also see Terry Smith's argument that it's a lot of money to pay for this company. Overall with Adobe, I still think this company's in great shape. I think it's going to give very significant returns. So I don't necessarily agree with him selling out of it, but I also don't think it's a big deal. He has a lot of smaller positions. 3% is not a huge deal. And Adobe, I think, is, is one that he's going to be fine without. Now let's go ahead and take a look at the buys. He did a number of buys last quarter, and I ranked them by the biggest to the smallest. At the top of the list, we have a company that he's no stranger to, which is Procter & Gamble. Terry Smith complained about this company, the management of it, how they're hiding certain things from their investor reports, but he still bought back into the company, which means that he still thinks that the assets and the, the vast moat, the market position, these big consumer defensive companies, they're difficult for him not to own. He wants to own these big, vast, dominant companies. Procter & Gamble, in my opinion, is a very conservative pick. I think the company is incredibly powerful, but I also don't believe it's going to grow its free cash flow per share at a significantly fast rate. So it's not one that I'm myself interested in buying. The next position he added to was Apple. Apple's grown significantly over the past five years. You're hearing the chatter online that Apple is so overvalued because its revenue growth has slowed down. The amount of iPhones it sold slowed down. 
I'm not concerned about it. Apple has a thousand different ways to monetize its users. You can get creative with all the different ways that Apple has to make money. Apple has so many people with so much money using their devices and they will figure out more ways to monetize their platform. So Apple's one that I like seeing Terry Smith buy. In my opinion, I think it's a much better buy than Procter & Gamble. I think they're both consumer defensive companies, but Apple has a lot better monetization capabilities. Now, after Apple, there's a couple more companies that he added to. These are pre-existing positions that he just added more money to. We have Meta Platforms, we have Brown Foreman, and then we have Watercorp. So three companies that he owned previously that he added just a little bit to. But then there's a number of companies, three of them that are brand new holdings brand new positions to Terry Smith's portfolio. We can first look at Graco. This is a company that I know the least about. It says that it designs, manufactures, and market systems and equipment used to move, measure, and control, dispense, and spray fluid and powder materials worldwide. So it's a manufacturer of, of equipment to spray fluids and powder materials. One of those companies that's a little bit behind what we normally interact with. And if you look at it, I can just assume that it's going to have pretty consistent revenue growth. We can check that off the list. Pretty consistent profitability. We can check that off the list. Pretty consistent cash flows. Again, all these companies that Terry Smith finds, he's a great filter for high quality companies. Consistent cash flows, consistent earnings, all across the board, very consistent revenue and profitability, a consistently growing dividend, consistent shares outstanding going down. Then we look at the financial ratios and this company has very consistently high ROCE, which is a primary focus for Terry Smith, the high returns on capital employed. It meets all the criteria. The other company that he invested into is one that I've done a lot more research on, which is of course, MasterCard. This is a company that it's been going nowhere for the past three to five years. So the price is where it was at back in 2019, relatively right around that point. And I think right now the fundamentals have finally caught up to the price. This company across the board is one of, I believe, the top five best companies in the world, right there with Visa hand in hand. Consistently growing revenue at a very fast pace. We have consistently growing EBITDA. We have consistent free cash flow. Unlike most companies I've ever seen, the free cash flow per share growth has been 16% over the past five years. Really incredible. You have the dividends, you have the share buybacks, you have the earnings per share, you have the incredibly strong balance sheet. Then you also have very high returns on capital employed. Another thing I'd mention about MasterCard that's tough to see with a company this large is scalability. The actual profit margins of the company have gone up almost every single five-year period. So every five years, the profit margins continually increase. And now the profit margins are at a staggering 45%. 45% profit margins. It's completely incredible. So I'm excited to see this one in Terry Smith's portfolio. And then the last one, which is a company that I believe is underrated with retail investors because it seems like a very old, boring company, is Marriott, the hotel chain. One thing that I'll mention right off the bat, when you think of Marriott, you probably think of hotel buildings and you believe that this company probably owns those buildings. That's not how this company works. They don't own much real estate at all. Marriott's a little bit like Domino's. It's a little bit like a license company. Rather than owning the physical hotels, they instead own the licensing and IP and the operations of the hotel. So they license out their brand name, their operations, how they run the hotels, but they don't own the physical property. That makes this company 
more like a Domino's or like a Universal Music Group, more like a licensing company. It is not a real estate company. So we can look at the financials of the company. The revenue has been growing, albeit very slowly. That's fine for this type of conservative company. The free cash flows are growing at a faster rate than the revenue. We don't have a big problem with stock-based comp. It's not a company that has a ton of overhead. And the adjusted free cash flow per share has been growing at a very steady rate. So I like the financials in terms of earnings and profitability. The shares outstanding are going down over time, which we like to see. The returns on capital employed last year were 20%. So they're increasing their ROCE. If I was to pick between buying Airbnb and Marriott right now, I've looked at both of these companies and I would pick Marriott. It trades at a much more reasonable valuation, a much higher free cash flow yield, and it has a very, very similar business model. The only difference is Marriott works with big hotel buildings, Airbnb works with people's homes, but they're both very capital light companies that don't own any real estate themselves. And then overall, this leaves us with Terry Smith's portfolio that is still one of the top portfolios in my opinion. He has a very well-diversified portfolio without huge amounts of concentration, but he still has a huge focus on high-quality companies. So while he's well-diversified, he still has financial metrics that are well above the benchmark like the S&P 500 or the QQQ. And he has consistently outperformed the index for a long period of time. So unlike some investors that I would not follow with my portfolio, like Michael Burry or Pat Dorsey, Terry Smith is someone that I would actually feel comfortable following and investing in the same type of companies. I think that investors would do really well putting their money behind what he's doing because he has a very consistent and sensible approach to investing. Now that's gonna be all the super investors we cover in this video, but there are gonna be more in the future. More super investors are releasing their 13F filings by the day, and I'll be going over all the ones that I think are the most significant on this channel. So if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed and look for more super investor videos in the near future. That's all for now, see you in the next one.